Heavenly Father, we uh, do thank you for uh, this gospel, uh, this wonderful gospel. Thank you for Paul's um, letter to the Romans, which really sets out uh, the gospel, um, the gospel that Paul owns. He calls it his gospel. And we thank you that it's also our gospel, our good news, uh, the God who brings sinners back to life, who rescues us. Uh, we pray that as we um, read this final um, parts of the final chapter, these concluding words, that you'll uh, speak to us uh, through them uh, by your spirit um, and change us for your, um, for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Mark. Uh, the reading today is uh, coming from Romans 16, verses 1 to 16 and verses 21 to 23. It's titled Personal Greetings. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Centria. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been a benefactor of many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Greet my friend Apennitus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews, who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Ampliatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, and my dear friend Statius. Greet Apelles, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet those in the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Trophina and Trophosa, those women who worked hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the other brothers and sisters with them. Greet Philog Philologus, Julia, Nereus and his sister, and Olympus and all the Lord's people who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings. Timothy, my co-worker, sends his greetings to you, as do Lucius, Jason, and Sisipata, my fellow Jews. I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, whose hospitality I and the whole church here enjoy, send you his greetings. Erastus, who is the city's director of public works, and our brother Quartus send you their greetings. 
It's one of those passages, isn't it, that you don't expect to get asked to read when you sign up to read the Bible. All those uh, difficult names, but you did really well, mate. Thank you. Um, great to see you all, friends. Uh, if you haven't met, I'm Duncan, pastor here at Trinity South Coast. Um, you might have heard the phrase, Christianity with its sleeves rolled up. I don't know if you've ever heard that kind of phrase, Christianity with its sleeves rolled up. It tries to capture the idea that being a Christian isn't just about believing certain things in your head. Uh, it's uh, something that flows out into action. Uh, it's, not just about, it's about changed lives, not just about a kind of changed mind. Um, as Steve's mentioned, we're kind of slowly coming to the end of this book of Romans. I think the reason why I'm doing Romans 16 in three weeks is because I can't quite bring myself to uh, realise that we're actually finishing. There's been such a great journey through it. Uh, we're slowly coming to the end in these last chapters. Well, we've seen in these last chapters how the gospel that Paul's talked about does transform everything. It changes lives. It, it, it changes everything about life. This great news of Jesus, we kind of kicked that off back in chapter 12, looking at Paul's encouragement or his exhortation to, in view of God's great mercy in the gospel, offer our whole bodies as sacrifices there's been so much in there between there and this point in chapter 16, but it's right here at the end of his letter in chapter 16 that we've read uh, that Paul kind of zooms right in. He zooms his camera right in to give us this incredible picture of individual, ordinary people, just like you and me, but whose lives have been turned upside down by the gospel, by this great announcement of what God has done. It can be easy to skim over, um, as we've mentioned, there's lots of kind of weird names in there. Uh, but if we did that, if, if we just skimmed over this last part, I think what we would miss actually is something really key to what Paul is trying to say in his letter here. And a really precious part of the letter uh, that shows us these everyday Christians with their sleeves rolled up. Um, uh, what, what we're going to see as we read through is perhaps something different to what that phrase gets used for in uh, everyday kind of language, if you've heard it in society or in the media, this idea of Christianity with its sleeves rolled up, it often gets used to talk about the good works that Christians do in society. Um, Christians have always been deeply interested in issues of social justice and caring for the poor and the marginalised. It's just part of our DNA, right, as those who have uh, recognised our own spiritual poverty <laughs> and have received God's abundant, overwhelming generosity in Christ. Um, but as we look at this picture of what Paul writes, this picture of this community of Christians with their sleeves rolled up, we're going to see that uh, that is the, the kind of common conception of what that might look like is not actually at the heart of what it looks like for Christians to roll their sleeves up. Um, we've seen that over the last couple of weeks, these last chapters of Romans, especially a few weeks ago, how Paul opens his heart up and bears, uh, he bears his heart and, and tells us about his deep ambition, the thing that's really driving him. We saw that back in chapter 15, this great gospel ambition to see the life-giving news of Jesus proclaimed to people and to places that haven't heard it yet. Uh, he knows that the world's greatest and deepest need is ultimately a spiritual one. Uh, that each of us on our own stands condemned before God because of our sin. He knows the gospel proclaims this wonderful free grace, this gift of forgiveness and new life that we celebrate every week here. 
And what Paul wants the Roman church to roll up their sleeves and partner with him in is first and foremost, before it's anything else, is this great gospel ambition to see Jesus proclaimed. Christianity with its inaction, with its sleeves rolled up, before it means anything else, it means this. Costly partnership in seeing the gospel proclaimed so that lives can be changed by it to God's glory. That's the kind of partnership you see in these last, uh, this last chapter of these ordinary people who've been gripped by this extraordinary gospel. Um, you see, if you have your outline there, we're not going to work through, often I'll just work through a passage, read through it in sequence, because uh, it's of the nature of this, and we're picking out some big themes that come through as you read this, of the way in which that happens in these names that, are, that Paul mentions at the end of this letter. Um, so uh, there's three kind of big things that come out, gospel patrons, uh, uh, gospel workers, and this idea of gospel family, which I'll get to. But you see this idea of, a, of coming through in a few places, uh, of this idea of being a gospel patron, this rolling up your sleeves for the gospel. Uh, people who use the resources that God has given them to support the work of the gospel however they can. Uh, the people who say, I'm all in, okay, I'm all in for this. I'm totally committed to seeing this work flourish and to seeing it happen. I'm going to do whatever I can to see that. Uh, you see that uh, right at the start in verse 1 with Phoebe. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Centraea. I um, still can't figure out how to say that. <laughs> but it's a little town that's near to Corinth, which is uh, where we think Paul's writing this letter from. So uh, Phoebe's likely a woman of some wealth, of high standing in society, and uh, she's a deacon of this church, and uh, uh, she's recognised, that means she's recognised as someone uh, who, for her serving and care in the church. Uh, it's possible that Paul's sending this letter with Phoebe, and that's why he's writing this commendation. He's saying, uh, this uh, Phoebe who uh, is carrying this letter, uh, I commend her to you. Um, it's uh, just a possibility. But uh, he, Paul commends her, and, and the role that she's had for Paul, you can read there, is, and, and not just for Paul, but for many people, is of this role of a benefactor, another word for a patron. Uh, she, Phoebe's heard the gospel. She's understood God's grace. She's understood her new identity in Christ. Uh, she's been transformed by it, and she's given it. She's gone all in with Paul. Uh, she's given herself, devoted herself to backing him and providing for him, making sure that he can do his work of proclaiming the gospel, of setting up new churches across the region. It's not just Phoebe, though. This idea of being a kind of patron of the gospel comes through in a few places. Uh, like Rufus's mother. Did you pick that up in verse 13? I love Rufus's mother. He's been like a mother to Paul. You can kind of imagine Paul uh, rocking up at Rufus's house with a bag of washing over, over his shoulder or something, or turning up uninvited for dinner. Uh, so we've got Rufus's mother, who is like a mother to Paul, uh, does what she can to support him. And uh, Then there's Gaius down right at the end in verse 23. Um, Gaius is with Paul in... Um, probably in Corinth, and he says, Guys, whose hospitality I and the whole church here enjoy. So here's someone who um, uses the resources that he has to, for the furtherance of the gospel. Uh, his, his hospitality um, likely is to host a church in his house at this point. So you've got this idea of gospel patrons. It's not a new thing. 
Um, right back, well, with, uh, Jesus had patrons. We, you find out in Luke 8 if you're interested in looking up later, but uh, Jesus had three women who um, supported him out of, out of their means so that he could do his ministry. It's all through church history, actually, this idea of being a gospel patron. When the gospel has flourished, there have often been patrons who stood behind it and backed the work. Um, we're celebrating this year the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. I've mentioned that a few times. Uh, uh, and we'll get to more of that later on. We're having a series on that after we finish Romans. Um, but if it wasn't for benefactors, patrons, much of the work of the Reformation wouldn't have happened. Um, you've probably never heard of a guy called Humphrey Monmouth or Monmouth, or I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Uh, but old Humphrey, in the early 16th century, the Reformation was taking off, and we'll hear more about that later if you're not familiar with the Reformation, but uh, he met a young scholar who you might have heard of, a guy called William Tyndale. Um, Tyndale was absolutely committed to translating the Bible into English so that his people could have the scriptures in their language. The thing was, it was illegal to do that at the time, uh, and Tyndale had no money. He didn't have the resources to do it. It was a massive project to translate the Bible into, into English. Uh, Mon, Monmouth, Monmouth met Tyndale. I'll just call him Humphrey. Humphrey met, met Tyndale, uh, and he caught this gospel vision, and he said, mate, I'm all in. Uh, he provided for Tyndale. He protected him. Uh, and when the project was finished, he used his business connections to help smuggle Bibles all through England uh, to get the Word of God out there. It was a huge piece of the way that the Reformation came to England. Uh, Tyndale ended up being executed, and, this, and Humphrey ended up in jail for it. Um, so it wasn't an easy thing, but the fire that they lit... Uh, transformed so many lives and was a big part of the gospel being recovered 500 years ago. Same story can be told over and over again. That's just one example um, of this idea of being a, a gospel patron, a, a, a benefactor for the work of the gospel. But then you notice as you read through, the other, one of the other big things that comes through is this idea of gospel workers. Gospel workers. Uh, verse 3 and 5, we'll hear about Priscilla and Aquila, who are called co-workers. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Jesus Christ. They risk their lives for me, not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful for, to them. And they also host a, bit, a church in their own house. Greet also the church that meets in their house. You find other these co-workers of Paul, Urbanus in um, Verse 9, Timothy and his crew in verse 21, this idea of co people who are uh, active with Paul, probably travelling around with him, co-working with him to share the news of Jesus. Um, a, a similar kind of way, there's, uh, you might have uh, perhaps uh, noticed Andronicus and Junia in verse 7, uh, who Paul calls, they are outstanding among the apostles, they've been in prison with Paul. Um, Paul calls these, this couple, Andronicus and Junior, uh, Junior uh, uh, we think they're a, a couple, uh, possibly. I think that's the best kind of way to read it. Uh, he calls them apostles. Um, I, I think what's going on here is there's, in the New Testament, there's kind of two ways that the word apostle gets used. There's a big A apostle, those who are um, chosen by Jesus himself and sent out with his authority to teach 
Uh, they're kind of the big names of the early church that you, you might be familiar with. There's this other idea, though, of a, I'll call a small a apostle. Um, apostle, the word apostle just means a messenger, someone who sends uh, out the original apostles sent by Jesus, the big A apostles, but there seems to be these, have been these what were called small A apostles in the early church, and they were sent out by the church um, most likely as travelling missionaries, uh, travelling missionaries who were sent out to take the gospel to new areas and um, plant churches and see new works begun. So that's this couple, Andronicus and Junior. Um, not, uh, not the big A apostle who speaks with the authority of Jesus, but basically a, a, a missionary couple, I think, is the best way to understand um, those two. But hard workers for the gospel. Oh, you get that? You didn't pick that up too. These hard workers, Mary in verse 6, who worked very hard for you, uh, Apelles, Tryphena and Tryphosa, Persis, all these people who are not just hard workers, but very hard workers that Paul commends these gospel workers well it's a i mean it's a when you kind of dig into it there's you you realize there's this huge network of people who are all giving themselves to this great work of seeing the gospel spread and jesus proclaimed Uh, it's worth reflecting that on perhaps the way that we uh, go about our christian lives and churches today there's uh, there, there can be an assumption about churches, maybe you've encountered it, um, that there's a minister who does the ministry. <laughs> I don't know if you've, you've come across that kind of assumption. Uh, it's, an, it's an assumption that can creep in pretty easily, but uh, it's not biblical and I think it causes quite a lot of damage. Uh, a pastor has a particular ministry. Uh, he pastors God's people primarily by overseeing the teaching of God's word to, uh, the, in, in the life of a church. But there's just one part of the whole body. Every member working to play their part for the gospel. Each just as fully engaged as the other in gospel ministry. Um, so that, that perhaps is a way in which this kind of reflects uh, on some of the trends that we might find ourselves in. But do you notice too the diversity of people who've been swept up in this great gospel enterprise. You've got Jews and Greeks together. Paul goes out of his way to mention the Jewish people among them. Uh, And that's been a theme we've seen through Romans, this bringing together of Jews and Greeks in Christ, now on the same mission to see Jesus proclaimed. Uh, You've got rich businesswomen, high-level public servants. Notice that. Erastus, right at the end in verse 23, uh, he's, he's the city's director of public works, so he's kind of a high-level guy. Right through to people who've almost been killed for, for being with Paul. Others who've been in prison with him, we've seen. And did you notice both men and women fully engaged in this work? Uh, we hold to a complementarian framework of church life and ministry here at Trinity South Coast. What, all, what that means is... Uh, in terms of the way that we see men and women working together and being, doing life together in the life of the church family. Uh, men and women, the, a complementarian approach sees men and women as entirely equal uh, in both our sin and in both our standing before God uh, as God's children. There's no difference in either our shame in ourselves or in our worth in Christ. Uh, but flowing out of good 
God's good design and because we think it's the best interpretation of the New Testament teaching, uh, we hold to a difference not in, not in, in, in uh, worth, but a difference in role uh, in, between men and women in the family of the church. The way that plays out for us is uh, in the Trinity Network churches is that the senior pastors of the churches are men and the preaching is done by men. But sometimes in complementarian churches like us, uh, a kind of atmosphere can emerge that can minimise the ministry of women in the cause of the gospel. Uh, can you see how different that is to the picture that you get here in Romans 16, uh, where Paul commends and highlights both men and women for their ministry, all serving Christ to see the gospel proclaimed. And we've got to be careful that um, both we're people of deep conviction about these things, but who uh, hear these words carefully and value the ministry of everyone, every single person with a different role to play in the ministry of the gospel among us. Anyway, that's some thoughts about that. Uh, we've got gospel patrons, we've got gospel workers, people engaged. Uh, but lastly, there's this gospel family kind of element that comes out here. Um, sometimes you hear people talk about Paul as if he's a cold and distant academic. I don't know if you've come across this, uh, this idea of Paul as not really interested in people. He's just all about theology. Uh, can you see that nothing could be further from the truth here? There's a tone of real warmth, of genuine kind of family concern here. You've already seen that with his adopted mum, Rufus's mum. But it kind of goes all through the chapter, actually, this idea of this tone of warmth and family connection. He's got his dear friends in this list. People like Eponetus and Ampliatus, Persis, the woman who worked very hard in the Lord, uh, we've seen through the letter how the gospel brings people into God's family and makes us brothers and sisters, and that's come through here as well. Down in verse 14, greets uh, Asyncritus and the rest, uh, and the other brothers and sisters with them, the, this idea of the church. There's this warm family language that runs all the way through, and it culminates in uh, his interesting um, uh, encouragement to the church in verse 16 to greet one another with a holy kiss. It's enough to give you introverts who don't like being touched a bit of a shiver down your spine, right? Uh, what's going on here? Why does Paul talk about greeting one another with a holy kiss? It was a common kind of warm greeting, usually between um, people who are uh, in close relationship, um, friends and family, if you remember, if you've been with us reading through Romans, there's this underlying tension in the church between Jews and Gentiles, probably, between what who Paul calls the strong and the weak. He's essentially saying those guys over there who belong to that other group, who you don't agree with on these secondary issues that aren't core to the gospel, uh, those people in Jesus are your family. So greet them like you would your family. But why a kiss? It's kind of unmistakably physical, right? This, uh, sometimes, uh, perhaps it's something that uh, we can learn from other cultures in our, in our culture, I think. Uh, there's an author, one author, uh, Tony Chris is his name. He, he describes an encounter that he, he had with someone from a different culture. 
he describes meeting Annie from Albania. I'll read it out. It's quite funny. Annie took two quick strides and he was standing nearly against me. He took my hand in his. His, eye, his face shone in the early evening light with a huge smile and sparkling eyes. His head bobbled slightly as he talked. Then it happened. Startling, to say the least. If you had asked, I would have said that it was impossible for Annie and me to stand any closer. I was wrong. So very wrong. Gripping my hand and forearm, Annie pulled me closer. Then he pulled me closer still. He was not a large man, but I could not deny his strength. Then, with celebrative force, he kissed me square on the cheek. Remembering it now, my memories move in slow motion. He slowly released, pulling away only so slightly. Uh, I, I can imagine the look on my face. In shock, I watched his face pass in front of mine, only millimetres separating our noses, mouths and chins. His face was all smile and bobble. Then he kissed my other cheek, just as hospitably as he did the first only then did he step away. <laughs> there was still moisture on the soft centre of each of my cheeks. That night, as I lay in the dark, staring at the ceiling, I could still feel the shape of his lips on each cheek. This was one of my first experiences with one of my favourite men I've ever known. This author goes on to talk about how uh, meeting Annie made him reflect on his own Western culture and how we've become so averse to touch, uh, how we've become, his, in his connection, so hypersexualized that all kind of touch is either seen as sexual or inappropriate. Uh, he, he writes this, he says, touch has been stolen from me. Uh, but can you see here this picture that you get of the community that the gospel creates is stunningly different to that kind of version of humanity. It's a community of both holiness, deep holiness, and intimacy. Both godliness and closeness. And we need to be wise and careful. That's why we do things around here like we're so insistent on uh, checks and training in our kids' ministry, for example, and all that sort of... We, we need to be wise and careful. But uh, can you see how the, the kind of... Um, picture of life together here it kind of reflects on our own culture a little bit and helps us to see maybe another way of going about life. I don't think it necessarily means an outbreak of holy kissing, so don't freak out uh, if you have high personal space needs. Um, but as the gospel keeps taking root here, uh, we, I, I think we should expect that it will show itself in this holy, godly, intimacy uh, uh, in culturally appropriate ways <laughs> that suit uh, 21st century Australia. Paul is saying to this church that's threatened by divisions, he's saying greet one another like family in both holiness and closeness. That kind of community, and friends, can you see how that kind of community is utterly different to anything that the world can offer and will stand out as an incredible witness to the reconciling power of the gospel. Well, that's what the gospel did for Paul and this church in Rome. It gave them a deep ambition to see Christ proclaimed. Uh, it gave them a deep commitment to each other in partnership to see that happen so that all of them in their own way rolled up their sleeves to see that happen. 
uh, all in the context of this kind of family, holy family, <laughs> through Jesus. Now, that's what the gospel did to them then. It's worth reflecting on us today, though. Do, do we see the same things in our church? And I've got to say, as I've kind of considered this this week, um, thinking through the picture that we get in Romans 16 and our church family, uh, I think we have so much to be thankful for to God. When I think about our church, I think of so many cheerful, hard workers for the gospel. People who are committed to using their time and resources to seeing Jesus proclaimed, to seeing lives changed for God's glory. Uh, there's much more to be done, though, for us. And uh, I'd ask you to especially please, as a church, please pray for our leadership team over the next few months. Uh, we're going to be thinking hard about uh, how we can keep pursuing this this gospel ambition. If you were here a few weeks ago, we talked about centrifugal force versus centripetal, an outward force versus an inward force. I think we're at an important stage as a, as a, as a church family where, where uh, we need to keep thinking creatively and with the gospel at the centre about how we can continue that outward focus and not turn inwards on ourselves. So please do pray for the leadership team as we and work through that. But it's worth not just uh, reflecting as a church, and it, perhaps it's a good opportunity for us today to uh, ask that on a more personal level. How are you? Uh, is this the kind of fruit that you're seeing in, in your life? This kind of committed, prayerful partnership in the gospel. It's a complex thing, and we're all in our own situations, we all have our own pressures and limitations and God knows all that and this I hope this isn't an extra burden to add to already overburdened people that's not what we should hear here uh, but it is still worth reflecting isn't it and taking that opportunity to see if this is what the gospel did 2,000 years ago in this community is it is it doing the same uh, for me this gripping of my heart to have this gospel ambition to see Christ proclaimed to throw my hat in the ring and do whatever I can. Perhaps you know it's not true in your life, and it may be because you're not actually a Christian yet. Um, this message of Jesus might be something you're interested in, but even something that you agree with in your head, but not something that's alive to you. Perhaps you've never personally uh, seen your own brokenness and the reality of your own sin and recognize that before God. Perhaps you haven't consciously turned to Jesus and received his forgiveness and new life, his punishment on the cross in your place so that you could be freed. It's crucial we get the order right here. This life that we see in Romans 16 flows out of people who have already been changed and gripped by the gospel who have already been filled up by God's overflowing grace. It doesn't come before the gospel. It's not people who are trying to earn their way into God's good books. The, the first thing is to turn to Christ, to receive his free gift of forgiveness and new life. If you've done that, you'll find that you're swept up in this great story, this great ambition, this rolling up of your sleeves for Jesus' sake. 
It'll flow out of that. It may be, though, that you are a Christian, and Romans 16, perhaps as you're sitting here, has in a way kind of reflected something back into your own life. Maybe you're kind of just waiting and itching for an opportunity to serve. Uh, perhaps you've recognised that you've let other things perhaps capture your heart than the gospel, other good things that in various areas of your life have taken God's place. Uh, and today might be an opportunity for you to, uh, before God, realign your life with God's reality, with his priorities, his ambition, his great work in the world. If either of those are you, uh, there's great opportunities to get stuck into serving Christ here. Uh, you can talk to me or Steve. would love to hear from you as well afterwards if, if that's you and you think that's the case. Uh, if you're more able-bodied, we'd love some more help in things like setting up and packing up and morning tea and uh, kids and welcoming, kids' church, lots of other things. Uh, but um, engaging in God's mission is more than, it's not less than, I think, but it's, it's more than being on a roster, though, isn't it? It's, we, we talked about this a little bit last week, just being present, committing yourself to being present with your brothers and sisters in a home group and here on Sundays under God's word, encouraging each other to live for the gospel is uh, a way to consider uh, aligning our lives more and more to this reality. Well, friends, there's, been so much, there's a lot in there. It's, uh, what a fascinating pa- passage. I've found it, I hope you've uh, been encouraged by that and, and spurred on to continue um, uh, to serve our wonderful gospel in whatever way that you can. Uh, we need God's help. Uh, we've got two more weeks in Romans. Next week, this is Gospel Greetings. Next week, we're going to look at some warnings Paul gives before we finish things up right at the end. Um, uh, We need God's help to do that, though, so let's pray together. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll keep going. Our gracious God, our Heavenly Father, um, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for uh, revealing your great and wonderful plan to us in Christ. We thank you for your work in the life of this church. We thank you for bringing us together, that this great message that um, exploded out of Jerusalem and through the ancient world has uh, made its way even down to us. Father, we thank you. We know that that same word grips us just in the same way as it gripped those people. Uh, Father, we need your help. We pray for your spirit, please, to soften and enliven our hearts to your word. Um, Lord, we pray for each of us, uh, those who do trust in you and who are your people. Please give us your heart uh, for the lost, for this world, for those who do not know Christ. Um, Please shape us and grip us. Please help us to to be those who uh, continually seek to advance your gospel in whatever way we can, with whatever capacity and... um, opportunity that you give us lord we pray that these things will take continue to take deep root in us that this kind of gospel shaped community will continue to be evident and will continue to flourish here at trinity south coast and we pray that for your glory for the building up of your kingdom for the saving of many souls and uh, we pray that in jesus name amen